You know, this morning, uh, as we are here together, we have a lot of differences, don't we? we uh, some of us are good-looking. Some of you are just not as blessed, right? Another bad attempt at humor. Uh, we, we, we have different, different clothes on. We have different nationalities. We are different socially and economically, which is great. A church ought to look like its community, so we ought to look different. We ought to look different. But we do have a lot of things in common. We all are clothed this morning. Isn't that great? I will never pastor a nudist church. Wouldn't that be terrible? I mean, can you? Clothes are good, aren't they? Clothes are. Y'all not laughing much. What's wrong with y'all this morning? Goodness gracious. Uh, but we do have a lot in common. You're either, you're, you're in Ruston right now, whether you live here or not. This, but let me share with you something today that we all have in common is that we all have been hurt by other people. Every one of us in this room, you'd have to be a, you'd have to be really self-deceived to, to not agree with that statement. Everybody in this room has been hurt by other people. We started a sermon series a few weeks ago called The Forgiveness Factor, and we're in our third sermon today, this Sunday, and then on the 9th of February, next Sunday, we're going to be talking about some church things, but our vision for our church. But this Sunday and and the 9th, we're going to talk about forgiving other people, which I always believe is one of the most relevant subjects that you can address because we all have been hurt by other people. We're going to look at uh, our, our primary scripture today, if you have your Bibles, in Matthew 18, but we're going to, we're going to look in, in Matthew 6 a lot this morning too. So if you find, if you have a Bible, find Matthew 6 and 18. If not, they'll be on the screens. Uh, while you're doing that, if you have a piece of paper with you, or if you have a bulletin on the back, I want you to do something. Now, we're not going to do what we did last week if you were here and ask you to come and burn them like we did. But maybe there's a person or two, write their name down, their initials. Maybe they're initials. I don't want to find 300 with CC, Chris Craig, either after this is over. Take these with you. Get rid of them. This is, for, this is for you. But I want you, as we go through this sermon, I want you to, well, you will. You'll think about that person or those people who have hurt you and, and decide what you want to do about it and what you want to do with them. In Matthew 6, verse 12, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount, one of the, the most famous sermon, Jesus' teachings, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And in Matthew 6, he, he gives us what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's actually the disciples' prayer. Jesus is teaching his followers how to pray. And he says these famous words in verse 12, Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Now, the only part of the Lord's Prayer, the only part, strangely, that he comments on any farther is in verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Look in verse 15. This is scary. But if you don't forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Man, that's that's powerful. Now, it's interesting that the the New Testament was written in Greek, and the, the word for sin used in verse 12 and verse 14 are different words. The one in verse 12 literally means a debt. It means what's owed to us. There was a Jewish way of talking about sin was to say a debt or what was owed to us. But in verse 14, the word is talking about trespassing. It, it's literally someone unintentionally or intentionally, that's important, 
unintentionally or unintentionally crosses the line with us. They go somewhere where they should not go. They do something that they should not do. Now, listen to me. Everybody in here has had somebody violate your rights before. You've had someone, you've had someone, maybe they didn't even know they do it, did it to you. In fact, I guarantee you, you were mad at some people today that have no idea that you're mad at them. And it's eating you up and it's not bothering them a bit. But on the flip side of that, you have people who have seriously done you wrong, who have hurt you, who owe you, whether it's money, whether it's time, whether it's love, whether it's an apology, or just being decent to you. They owe that to you, and they haven't given that to you. Or someone who's violated you, who's stepped over that line with you in your life, who's slandered you or gossiped about you, or worse than that, they've hurt somebody in your family, or they've They've killed somebody in your family. Or, or you're a victim of incest because somebody violated your rights. Or maybe it's just a former girlfriend or boyfriend that, that just didn't do you right. Or a, a former husband or wife. Here's the thing. The truth is there's a lot of husband and wives probably in this room this morning that the person they should write down on that list is their current husband or wife. Maybe it's a coach who didn't play you enough. Or maybe you're a coach and it's a player who just was a jerk, at least in your opinion. We've all been hurt by other people. We've all been violated by other people. Here's the big thing this morning, and this is a big one. We must forgive them. Now, a lot of times when you preach or you're taught to preach, you're ta- taught to be nicer, and you don't say things like must. You say, it would be nice to, it'd be good to, it'd be pot. No, if you, dis- if you are going to be square with God when you leave this room this morning, you've got to make a decision. You have to make a decision. At least you're going to be on the journey of forgiving those people who've hurt you. It's not optional. It- it's not something that you can think about, and maybe you'll do, or maybe you're not. If you want to be right with God, you're going to have to do this. And it's so tough. It's so tough because it flies exactly opposite of who we are. Frederick Nietzsche was a German philosopher. Listen to what he said. I don't don't know if this is absolutely the truth. He said, our greatest instinct is revenge. I, I don't know if that's our greatest instinct, but I want to tell you, it is very normal and human when someone hurts you or someone you love to strike back, whether that's physically or verbally, to retaliate is a normal human response. And that's why forgiving people is so opposite and so godly. Why must we forgive? In our story in Matthew 18, we're going to see Jesus teaching us a parable about forgiveness. It begins in verse 21. Peter came to Jesus and he asked him, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Listen to what Peter says, up to seven times. And Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Now, the Jewish rabbis of of uh, Peter's day and Jesus' day said this, you could forgive three times. Number four, pop them in the mouth. Forgive them three times. Wouldn't that be good? You'd be keeping a list, wouldn't you? That's one. That's two. That's three. You better duck because daddy's coming after you. But Jesus said, Peter, look, Peter was patting himself on the back. Jesus, I'm going to three times, three times two is six. I'm going to throw in a seven. I'll forgive him. And listen, you're talking about somebody that would pop you in the mouth. That would have been Peter. I mean, he cut a guy's ear off, remember, with Jesus in the garden. 
And then Jesus says, no, no, no. Peter, you can't just say you're going to put a limit on it and forgive them this amount of time. I want you to forgive people, and, and it needs to have no limits to it. Now, here's the creepy thing. God wants us to forgive people whether they ask for it or not. Now, you keep this in mind. Forgiveness and reconciliation aren't the same thing. Forgiveness and being buddies with somebody aren't always the same thing. These are two different things. But, but let's walk on in the story. Verse 23 through 25. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that they had to be sold to, be, to repay the debt. Now, th- this talents here, th- this 10,000 talents, this is hard to translate in our, in our time, but this is a good estimate. Some Bible scholars believe that's the equivalent of a billion dollars. You owing someone a billion dollars. In fact, in this Jesus' day, southern Judah, which would, would have been Jerusalem in that area, uh, southern Palestine, the tax for that whole area of the country was 600 talents a year. So this was an enormous amount of money, and the guy could not pay it. It was absolutely, he couldn't pay the debt. And so one thing they did when you owed money back then and you couldn't pay it, you didn't declare bankruptcy. You became a slave until you worked that off. It was a bad, bad thing. But in verse 26 and 27, it goes on. He says, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient, he begged, and I will pay back everything. This is God in us. The servant's master took pity on him, and he canceled the debt, and he let him go. Isn't that awesome? It'd be awesome if it was you and you owed somebody a billion dollars. But now the story gets bad. Verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me. He owed thousands of talents. A denarii. A denarii. One denarii was worth a soldier's wage. To put it in our terms and understanding, that might be a hundred dollars a day. And he owed a hundred, so that was ten thousand dollars. Now, if somebody owed you ten thousand dollars, would that be a big debt? Nobody raised their hand. I'm gonna borrow some money from you, and I ain't gonna pay it back because it doesn't matter. Ten thousand dollars is a lot of money. See, the point Jesus is making, he's not saying your hurt and your pain is insignificant. He's not saying that at all. What he's trying to show is a billion dollars worth ten thousand dollars, there is a pretty good gap, even if you are not very good in mathematics. The story goes on. His fellow servant, he fell to his knees. He begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. Listen to what this great guy did. But he refused. He went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. But when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went out and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on the fellow servant just as I had on you? And in his anger, the master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured. That was one thing they would do to try to find out if you'd hidden money. They'd torture you to get you to talk until he should pay back all he owed. Now look at this last verse. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Powerful story. That's God in us. So let's look at this. Why do you have to forgive people? Why 
Why do you and I desperately need to forgive people? Let me give you a couple reasons this morning. Number one, because God has and will forgive you of so much. Why should you forgive people this morning? Have you been hurt by other people? Absolutely. Has that girlfriend or boyfriend or ex-husband or our current husband or ex-wife or current wife or, or, or that coach or that teacher or that person who's in prison today because of what they did to you or your family, have they hurt you? Absolutely people have hurt you. You're a liar and you're not honest with yourself and you're never going to get better if you can't admit that people have hurt you. Most people can admit that. And God doesn't downplay your hurt or your pain at all. But what he says is no matter how much you and I have been hurt by other people, we have hurt God a lot more through the years than we have ever been hurt ourselves. And God is always willing to forgive us. That's the point he's trying to drive home. You see, everybody in here, you've taken God's name in vain. You've slandered other people. You've gossiped. You've committed adultery. You've lusted. You cheated people in business deals, and every time we sin, we sin against God. And the most unbelievable thing about God is God says when we come to him, even over and over and over, and we ask for him to forgive us with a heart's desire to change, he always forgives us. Isn't that awesome? And God says, if I will forgive you of so much, you have got to be willing to forgive other people. One reason we've got to forgive others Because of what God has done for us. Now listen, this is primarily, if you're not a Christian, all this applies to you, but this is fundamentally for people this morning who say they are Christ's followers. Keep that in mind. Here's the second thing. This ought to get our attention. Because God will punish the unforgiving. You say this morning, you know what? My granddaddy was bitter, my mama's bitter, and I'm going to be bitter. That's who we are. That's how we enjoy Thanksgiving. We cut the turkey and everybody else we can think of. We chew up the dressing, and we will chew you out too if you mess with us. That's fine. But here's who else you're messing with. Look in verse 35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Now, folks, this is a hard concept to get a hold of. If you're a Christian, man, God forgave you of your past sins. God's forgiven you of unbelief. But you are crazy if you don't think God holds you and I accountable for how we live. We, we can't just do anything we want and giddy, giddy, and everything is just great without being held accountable by God. God is holding us accountable for how we live. In fact, not only God holds us accountable here, but God's going to hold us accountable someday when we stand before him. 2 Corinthians 5.10, I'm going to preach on this in the, the near future. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Every person, non-Christians and Christians, will answer to God. There's a, there's a strange, scary little verse in 1 Corinthians 3.10. Look what it says here. He's talking about works. Some people's works will be burned up. They will suffer loss, but they himself will be saved. But as one's escaping through the flames, I heard someone say, some people are going to get to heaven, but they're going to smell like smoke. And I think that's what that's saying. I don't understand this, folks. I know if you'll stay right with God as a Christian and you'll confess your sins, and you'll live right. When you stand before God, it will be a good thing, not a bad thing. But also know this, there's Christians who bend off 
And maybe even for years they live their own way and do their own thing. Don't you forget, there's a day coming when we'll give an account to God. It's a scary thing. It's a, it's a scary thing. But God says this. If you and I choose to, to not forgive other people, we need to understand that God is going to spank us for it. See, here's what I want you to chew on. Is it worth it? If you wrote that name down or those names down or you got them in your head right now, is it worth continuing to be bitter towards that person? Here's the third thing, and this gets worse. You can't be in right standing with Jesus if you're not forgiving. You cannot be right with Christ. I'm not saying if you're a Christian that you're going to lose your salvation, but you, you can't be right with Jesus and be a hater. It just doesn't work that way. It's not the way that, that God constructed the whole plan. And, and I think y'all are going to agree with me here. This is like swimming. This is like baseball. Somebody else wrote the rules, and we got to play by them. Amen? That's the truth. The Super Bowls next week, they, they don't get to decide what rules they follow, and they don't follow in the game. This, these are all God's rules. Let's look at some of the things that he says here. In verse 35, it's clear. You don't forgive, God's going to punish you. But let's go back to Matthew 6 and verse 12. Look what he says here. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. The tense of the verbs here are this. God, forgive me as I have already forgiven those who have sinned against me. Matthew 6, 14 and 15, the commentary on this right under it. Written to believers, Matthew 5, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, his disciples came to him and he taught them, if you forgive men when they sin against you, he's talking about Christian, about your fellowship with God, God will forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. Now, listen, if, if you're a Christian, I truly believe the Bible teaches that once you become a Christian, that you, you, you can't lose that. You're always in a relationship with God, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. But your fellowship with God, your closeness to God can be way apart or it can be real close. You can't pick a sin. You can't pick a sin and hold on to it and say, you know what? I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to be close to Jesus. But I'm just going to... As a married man, I'm going to have an affair with any woman I get the chance. My sin is heterosexual adultery, and God's going to be cool with it. Or you're a young person, and you're going to say, you know what? I'm not, I'm not married, or you're, you're maybe you're not young. And I'm going to follow Jesus, but man, I'm just, I'm just going to have sex with anybody I want to because that's who I am. You know what? Or I'm going to cheat people in business. Or, you know, I just got a problem in my mouth. I just talk, 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 talk. And I gossip, 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 gossip. Gossip. And, and, you know, that's just who I am. That's who Granny was. That's who I am. You can't hold on to a sin and stay right with God. Now, we're all going to sin. We're all going to struggle. What we're talking about, you can't make a choice. I'm going to hate this person. I'm going to not forgive this person. I'm not going to like this person. And God's going to be cool with it because God is not going to be cool with it. God wrote the rule book. Amen? See, we can play by it or not. He gives us that choice. But you don't play by it at your own peril. You see, if I choose not to forgive you, and you know, I may have a reason not to forgive a lot of people in this room, like you may have a reason not to forgive me. If I choose to do that, I am choosing to put myself at odds with God. Is it worth it? 
Here's the fourth thing. Because you negate your prayer life by being unforgiving. This is terrible. How many of you want to pray and be heard by God? Please, everybody, raise their hand. You guys who play baseball, and you get up to bat, you're praying, aren't you? I did. I played sports my whole life. Most of it, I wasn't even a Christian, but I was praying, God, let me score. God, let me be the hero. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. Let's look at it again. Jesus talking to Christians, telling Christians how to pray. You forgive men when they sin against you. Your Father forgives you. That's great. It's, that's that fellowship prayer of a Christian. Cleansing. But if you don't forgive, God doesn't forgive you. Folks, I've taught uh, on prayer a lot. And, and what I believe the Bible teaches on prayer is that when we pray, you're having your prayer time. One of the first things you need to do, you ought to praise God. And then you ought to do these two things. You ought, to, you ought to spend time getting your heart right with other people, and you ought to confess your sins. And then after that, you move into the asking part of prayer. Most of us dive headfirst into the asking when we should hit those other things first. But here he's saying clearly that unforgiveness is a sin, and that sin hinders God's willingness to forgive you as a Christian. Psalm 66, 18, listen to what it says. If I cherish, if I hold on to a sin in my heart, the Lord would not have what? He would not have listened. Isaiah 59, 2, look at this verse. But your sins have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Man, this is terrible. This is, William Barclay was a great New Testament scholar. And he said, if you take the Bible seriously and you read this, it ought to scare you. It ought to scare you. Years ago when I was young, I'd already become a Christian, but I was, I was young in the faith. I was a young person. But I knew enough about this to know that you can't be a hater and be right with God. I, that's, new, that's, that's contradictory. And there was a person asked to pray. It was a small group, and it was an adult. And they got up and prayed, and they prayed a beautiful prayer. I don't mean like a King James, thee, thou, thou's this. But I mean, it was just like, it was, it was flowery. I mean, it was nice. If I was going to write a prayer, I would call that person and ask them to write it for me. But everybody in the room knew that person was full of resentment. They had a reputation as somebody. If you crossed them, they never let it go. They were bitter. And I remember as a young person saying, I bet that prayer did not hit the ceiling. And I was right. See, some of you go, you know, I pray. I'm, I'm certain I'm a Christian, but I pray, and I feel like I have no power with God. You may be right. You see, by not forgiving, you burn the bridge that you have to cross. When you choose, I'm not going to forgive that person, okay, that's great. I hope you or anybody in your family is never sick or ill or has a real need because you won't be very effective in praying for them. Matthew Henry was an old preacher years ago. Matthew Henry said, it is a dangerous thing to look at the Word of God and not take it serious at this point. He was talking about these verses. He said, you can water them down. You could probably find a preacher who would explain them away. But you better take God for what he says at this place in Scripture. 
when I decide I'm not going to forgive you, or you decide that about somebody, you're saying, okay, I guess I won't pray. You see, the last thought here is unforgiveness just ruins you. Why, why, do you need to, why do you need to forgive? It ruins you. It, it ruins your relationship, your fellowship with God. It ruins your prayer life. It ruins you with other people. See, some of you have been bitter for so long, and you project that anybody that crosses you or does anything wrong to you, that just spews out all over them. You're mad at your husband and wife because of what your mom and dad did. You're mad at Wayne and Justin because some music guy wouldn't let you play the fiddle 10 years ago in a service, and you're projecting that on them. It ruins you. It's drinking the poison, hoping they die. (laughs) It's a boomerang. You're throwing it... You're throwing it at their head, and it comes back, and it hits you. I want to read to you just bits of uh, some articles I cut out years ago. One of them was from Psychology Today, and, and I don't have any clue whether this author was a Christian or not, but listen to what they said about forgiveness and resentment, unforgiveness. They said it's futile, it's destructive, and it's binding. When you decide you're not going to forgive, you're practicing something that's futile, destructive, and binding. A guy named Bob Enright, I don't know if he still is or not, but he was at one time the the director of the International Forgiveness Institute. He's a scientific researcher. For years, they've studied people who have experienced tremendous hurt in their life, people, victims of incest, people who have had family members murdered. Here's what they discovered about forgiving other people. When you decide not to forgive, they see an an increase in anxiety, an increase in depression, uh, a decrease in self-esteem, and a decrease in hope. But when the person makes a decision to forgive, Bob says divine and healthy things happen. Depression goes down, anxiety goes down, self-esteem goes up, and hope goes up. You see, when you and I, when we decide not to forgive the person that you're hating, they're having ice cream and hamburgers, and they're okay. You're the one in bondage. So here's what I want to challenge you to do this morning. I want to challenge you to forgive them. Jesus said in, in that Matthew eight thirty five, forgive them from your heart. What does forgiveness mean? Come back in two weeks. We're going to talk about how you forgive people. But I just want to lay this. What does to forgive mean? Forgive doesn't mean you have to like them. Isn't that good? Some of you are going, okay, now, now you're talking my language. I can do this. Forgiveness doesn't mean you have to hang around them. Forgiveness does not mean you should necessarily do business with them or keep dating them. Forgiveness means, in a nutshell, I'm going to let it go. I'm choosing not to strike back. Tell yourself, oh, I could pound them in the ground. Tell yourself that and then say, but I'm not going to. It's choosing to let it go. One of the most famous paintings ever was by Leonardo da Vinci. It's The Last Supper. And there's a story told that's very interesting. If you don't know, that's Jesus. 
Y'all got that, didn't you? That is Judas right there holding the money bag. Look at a picture when you get home. You look at it closely. Leave that there for just a little bit. The story is told when Leonardo was painting this picture that he had a bitter enemy, a person who had been a friend that had hurt him. And this is great. So when he got to the face of Judas, guess what he did? (laughs) He painted in perfect detail the picture of that person. Wouldn't that be great? Emery's painting the Lord's Supper, and you see Eric comes up as Judas. Wouldn't that be great? Hey, I recognize Judas there. Everybody recognized who Judas was. He got him, didn't he? But then he started working on Jesus. You know what happened? He had painter's block. He didn't have painter's block. He had a spiritual block. He couldn't do it. Then he realized what it was. It was what he had done with a picture of Judas. So he goes back, wipes the guy's face out, and repaints an anonymous stranger. Then he finishes Jesus in the beautiful masterpiece. You see, that's exactly, that's exactly what dropping the pointer does. That's exactly what unforgiveness does. It binds you up and it ruins you. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. We're going to stand in a moment. Look at me for just another minute. When we do, if you're not a Christian or you're unsure if you're a Christian, when we stand, we're going to have ministers down here. I want to challenge you to come and talk to one of them and let them help you find Christ today. Maybe you'd like to join our church. When we stand, one way you can join is just ease down the aisle. We'll help you. You need a good church home. Come join us today. But, but many of us are Christians. Man, you and I need to deal with that person on that list physical list are here and I want to ask you today to choose to forgive them maybe it's a decision you'll make right where you're standing maybe you want to come and pray at the altar or pray with a minister but you make a choice for nobody else but you you make a choice to forgive let's stand as God leads you as we sing you step out you come this morning we'll be waiting on